In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 259. That's right. We are talking Green Lanterns, number four and number five from the month of August. Um, so Mark is going to take number four, and I will take uh, number five. You want to go ahead and dive right into it? Let's dive right into it, shall we? Uh, so this, so this is Rage Planet Part Four. It's simple, but it says it. <laughs> so S- Sam Humphrey is the writer. Ed Bennis, Rob Zanroca, and Tom Derenick. Pencils, Rob Hunter, Mark Irwin, Vincent Safuentes. Wow, lots of inks. Jay Liestein, Tom Palmer, and Mark Deering are all inks on this. Colors by Blonde. Letters, Travis Lanham. Covers by Roca, Liston, Rod Reese. Variant cover, Emmanuel Lupacino, Tome More. He gets around, obviously, with these variant covers. Uh, Andrew Marino, Mike Cotton. Group editor, Eddie Berganza. So this picks up where we left off, which seems like it was a while ago now, <laughs> uh, in Arizona, where as the Red Lantern influence is continuing to spread, now, of course, Jessica Cruz, who could make a Green Lantern construct to save her life, has now been essentially corrupted by the the rising tide of red. So Simon Baz has been basically kind of like sucker punched by her, and, he, and he's in trouble. Still clutching his teddy bear, though, which is great on that opening splash page. <laughs> As he said, traditionally, Green Lanterns are not supposed to be, get sucker punched by their partner, but yet here I am. So they're kind of hovering about, above the Rage Tower, the Hell Tower, excuse me, uh, as the ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum continues to rise. Jessica, which is kind of funny at this point, because Jessica does honestly seem much more effective as a as a Green Lantern being a a Red Lantern influenced influenced Green Lantern or whatever, uh, no matter how you want to describe it, that she seems much more much more productive <laughs> having the Red influence than just her being green. It ain't easy being green, so uh, they end up getting sucked into the pulled down into the Hell Tower, which is when Simon realizes that the Hell Tower doesn't really go up; it goes down, which is kind of makes sense. You know, going going deeper and deeper downward when you think of hell, that's what you think of to begin with. So, uh, at this point, conveniently enough, you know, Simon Baz's ring is about, is about out of power. It's draining ever so quickly. He's trying to figure out how far, you know, how far the, uh, the rage, the hell tower goes. It's like over 5,000 miles and it's increasing. Um... More and more people are being inf- infected by rage, and you know Simon 
Simon in a perfect world would like to be able to kind of do what he did, not just for Jessica, but for everybody, what he did for Blee's last episode, which was at least temporarily cure, completely cure her of her age, and then at least kind of cure her of her, uh, some of her, how would you say, like, the, t- took the edge off, maybe, off her age, even when she came back to her senses, she yeah. wasn't quite as nutso, or she realized that she was screwed now, because of, <laughs> at least she was, if nothing else, she realized she was, she was screwed, because while she was normal again, she kind of, like, ratted out about you know the Hell Tower and how they have to stop it. Simon, of course, at this point has kind of lost track of the teddy bear <laughs> that he needs to bring back home, and I, it's kind of cool that it, even though it seems out of place in the, in a way because of how important everything else is that's going on around Simon, that he and maybe it's his focal point. He's like it's something he can focus in on and trying to, uh, almost like his will, trying to kind of focus on what he has to do that it, it grounds him on what he's doing. But you know, si- Simon. You know, Simon is still being con- kind of being confronted by Jessica. His ring is like down to like almost like less. It's less than two percent now. We cut back to Dearborn, Michigan, which is a pretty cool exchange between Sarah and her husband Nazir, and they're kind of talking about, hey, you know, we kind of we need Simon here. We could, or, or if we can't get Simon, we need his <laughs> we need his partner. What was her name? Jennifer. <laughs> uh, there's there's got to be some way to uh, get in touch with. With, with them or the Justice League or something, because we have a problem, even though the problem really isn't that big a deal. It's just that this, the funky uh, hipster-looking guardian is uh, kind of like elevating their elevating their son into the air, playing ga- you know playing games with him. At the same time, giving us a little bit of background on what this ring is. That this ring is the Phantom Ring, you know, the most dangerous weapon in the galaxy. It was so terrible that he. This guardian had been was exiled by the other guardians of the universe because of it. Um, so we cut back to Jessica fighting Simon. You know, Simon kind of pointing out that he's out of options. Then we get back to uh, Oma again trying to buoy his own willpower and maybe pat himself on the back because he needs it. Uh, ref- ref- referring back to when he's brought Nazir out of the coma and how he kind of like deraged Blee's temporarily that it's like he's you know he really wants to help Jessica too and we we get a little bit of internal monologue or dialogue here with Jessica you know the fact that you know in a way she's trying to fight it but she really but she really can't and you know the they 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 clash it's like in between you know, him trying to save her and she's trying to kill him, they both kind of hate you know hate what's going on in a way for, and for different reasons. Then there's kind of like this big kind of like crask explosion, and of course Simon Baz is out of energy, which is interesting that he, he's out of energy and he's strutting down, but he doesn't lose his uniform, which is kind of interesting. <clears throat> and we find out you know and Simon's kind of concerned here because you know Jessica was pretty much knocked out for a second, but he doesn't know if that really accomplished what he wanted. He was hoped for that Jessica like brought her out of kind of <laughs> kind of doing the uh, Black Widow to Hawkeye in the Avengers, like give him a conk in the head and hoping that it breaks the brainwashing. But it did, and and now Jessica's like really depressed and really kind of like feeling sorry for herself. It's like you know what? I know I blew it. It's like I I I just can't do this. I'm not cut out to be Green Lantern. I, you know I don't need this ring. I don't want this ring. And Simon's kind of like, uh, we know we kind of need to work together. We need to bring the power battery in. And 
And Jessica's like, I can't make a construct. I attacked my own partner. It's like, I didn't choose this ring. It chose me, but it made a mistake. I wanted to find somebody else. And Simon, in his own half-assed kind of way, is trying to make it sound like, trying to like build her up. It's like, you know, you're really not that bad. And you go, come on, that bad? Don't patronize me, Simon. It's like, you never wanted me as a partner. You don't think I should be a Green Lantern. And she kind of gets Simon there because he knows because he actually does agree with. At the very least, he knows he didn't want her as a partner, and he and he really doesn't know if she's cut out to be a Green Lantern. But you know, he, he tries to give her a pseudo, you know, a pseudo pep talk, and uh, they suddenly Jessica's able because her ring still has power. She's able to uh, summon the power battery, so they both do a recharge as they're, you know, as they're recharging the green, uh, saying the Green Lantern oath. And at, at that point, you know, they're, they're all pumped. They crawl their way out of the uh, Hell Tower and make it back to the surface. <laughs> right in time for uh, Dexter to, to puke some napalm on them, which is kind of funny. It's like, is that a cat? Did I really survive this just to get killed by a cat? And then we hear, two novices. It is inevitable you will destroy each other. It's like, today I offer you a way out. This, it's, it reminds me of Saw, maybe because I've been watching the Saw movies lately. It's like, I want to play a game. It's like we will spare your life, the lives of your family, but but only one of you. It's like you 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 must join us, kill your partner, and betray the Green Lantern Corps. Oh, just that. So we have this nice little splash page with a whole bunch of Red Lanterns. That last time we really read Red Lanterns, at least some of these were dead. <laughs> we have Scalix, who supposedly was dead, though I think it might have been in Stormwatch that we found out that he wasn't. And what Zillius Zox, who absolutely was dead last time we saw him in the Red Lantern book. Because he sacrificed himself. Uh, so, next issue: divide and conquer. So, this will be a theme throughout this episode, and probably the next one once we cover Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. But um, I really don't care uh, about all the setup. Uh, this case, I, I care a little more in this one, just because I'm more interested about this Guardian. And speaking of this Guardian, I'm just going to read word by word everything he says here because I think it's important to analyze some of this stuff. Uh, just I'd like to fig- try and figure out if see if we can figure out who he is uh, or something important about him, you know, with our Green Lantern knowledge before it's actually said in issue. <laughs> like I, I, I want to set that challenge for us <laughs> to try and like we can, but I'm still willing to bet you he's nobody we know. Okay, he says he said so he's he's got their their son in the air he's floating and he's got all this kind of stuff floating around ET style around him. Um, he says like he says down there that ball that's the planet oh where those uptight authoritarian guardians live I used to be one of them too me I lived all the way over there by that plant <laughs> after the guardians kicked me out outrageous uh, sorry I'm too much brave in the bulb I guess. Uh, I was just trying to help them help the universe. You understand, right? So I lived there by myself for 2,000 years. I only had ice and snow to talk to. Okay, stopping right there. It's probably just a coincidence that he's referring to a plant as the place, but he did use a ball as a as a representation for Oa. I don't, you know... Maybe I'm reading too much into these things, but I'm trying to find hints somewhere. He also says ice and snow. So I'm thinking two possibilities. He is either talking about the greenhouse, where, you know, the that ship was during War of the Green... We mentioned this before. Yes. Um, 
that Chip was during War of the Green Lanterns. Maybe that's why it's called the Greenhouse. He's referring to a plant, but he's also talking about ice and snow. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll. That's that's a little bit of a stretch. And the one that popped into my mind relatively recently: what if he was on exiled to that planet uh, that Kyle discovered uh, at the beginning of Rebirth, oh, yeah, where you, he? You did mention that. Yeah, yeah. What if he's the one who drew those quote unquote cave paintings about the history of Parallax? Possible. So, I mean, and those those beings on that planet seem relatively uh, primitive. Now, that's you know whatever, but um, again, it's all speculation. Uh, so that's that's just something I'm pointing out. And he also goes, but here by the bottle, that's where I discovered something big. Wait, what was it? Oh, right. Someone has been messing with time and space. Is he referring to the whole Watchmen angle of rebirth? Or is this part of I think whatever the plot is going forward after this Red Dawn thing? That's what I think. I I can understand why one could possibly interpret it that way, but again, because he's giving so much of his own backstory, tying it into the, so far in the past, I think it's just... I think it's more likely to be friggin' Krona than it is to be Dr. Manhattan. <clears throat> Based on, uh, I mean, the person that was messing with time and space. And it's where I realized there's a reason the universe created two new Green Lanterns on Earth. And there must be a reason for the reason, right? Oh, I almost forgot. Here is where those filthy Dominators tried to steal my invention. The Phantom Ring, the most dead, dangerous weapon in the galaxy. So terrible, the Guardians exiled me for it. He says, my invention. He refers to it as, a, as an invention. That's That's interesting. He, I mean, we, we know he doesn't dress like a guardian. We know, but his verbiage, too, is very different from a guardian. Like, the way he talks, um, like a crazy old coot, kind of. I just, I don't know. I, guess, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's there's something I'm missing about him. Like, there's something I should have already figured out. Like, like... Maybe like he doesn't look steampunk just because it looks cool. Like there's a hint there in the why he's dressed the way he is. I, I don't know the the way he acts the way he does, and I I don't know. I just feel like there's something there that I'm missing. There could be. I mean, the thing that's in, the thing the thing that's interesting in this issue, which is sorely lacking in the next issue, is the fact is this that the the exchange with the guardian and the zir and and everything. That all all this is all this to me is interesting. All the stuff with Sarah, all this, these two couple of pages. That's what's that's really what's inter- to me. That's more just as much, if not more, interesting than anything else that happens in this book. And then we get into the next issue, and this he, he's not even in the book. So it's, yeah. So it's uh. I and I know talk again once again talking about setup. But that's exactly what it's doing. It's setting up for the next for the second story arc in this book, which is going to be related to the Phantom Ring, and which is and we don't know bullshit about this first story arc. I mean, yes, I know there's I know, we don't, we don't. rage, but there's there's really nothing. We don't know anything about what Red Dawn really is. I mean, it's they're they're talking about maybe a new home world for the Red Lantern Corps or, or whatever. I is it really that straightforward? Like. Then why infect the planet with rage so that we can all kill each other and then it's just ready for takeover? Like I, I don't know. No, 
to be fair, I think I think this, <clears throat> and we'll, and obviously we'll talk about this more in a different way when we talk about how how in the core when we do that episode. But in a way, with these issues, it seems it seems even more pronounced the fact that we're getting set up and set up and set up and set up because we we know this arc is coming to an end soon. <laughs> We 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 know this Red Dawn is not going to be going on for many more parts, and we still and we still don't know Jack about how Atrocitus is back. Where was he? Where's Dexter? Why are they in charge now? Now, how about giving people, assuming people did know about Stormwatch, that 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 uh, Scalix, I think showed up. I think he showed up in that, but I don't think I don't think Zillia Zox did. How about giving us green lantern fans who just read lantern books? How about giving us a background to how come these red lanterns, who last time we checked, were dead? Because the last time we really saw them in, in a book was when, during the uh, the final battle with Atrocitus and Guy when they had their two factions of red lanterns. How about giving us a background about that, which is something relevant? Why is Atrocitus even back in you know in the it just. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, and this arc is going to end, and we're not going to get the explanation for any of this. You can almost take it to the bank. We're not going to get it. We still haven't gotten any explanation in either one of the books about the, you know, the Templar Guardians. Where the hell are the Templar Guardians? What's the deal with them? If if friggin' Ganthet and if Ganthet and Sade could figure out, you know, could sense the friggin' how making a ring with a hammer and an anvil, why couldn't? They couldn't sense the Green Lantern Corps returning, let alone disappearing. They couldn't sense this this exile guardian coming back, and things. I don't know. There just seems to be things that are, I don't know. There's just things that are going on that there's a lot of little things being thrown against the wall, and not all of them, I think, are sticking at this point. Yeah. Uh, the, and the things about the other things we can get into about this issue also happen in the next issue, so we might as well just save them for next issue. Anything else though about this issue? The art was the art was mostly good. I don't I don't yeah. think I don't I don't think Jessica looked good. I don't think Jessica looked that good. Uh, Simon looked okay. Not a not a not a Jessica. Just there's a lot lot of lack of detail I thought on Jessica's face for the most part in this book. Uh, I think I actually think the best art in the the best art in the book might have been the stuff again back in Michigan with Nazir and Sira and the Guardian. And even the last splash page I thought was pretty good, even though it's not really classic Atrocitus. It's about as close as we've gotten in a while. And at least Skalix and Zilius look good and Dexter didn't look quite as uh, horrible as we've seen him look recently. So it looks like, it looks like a were cat. Yeah, but at least he's at least you can sense a cat in there. So <laughs> So that's a step in the right direction. All right, anything else before we move on to the next one? Let's move on. Okay, the next one, Green Lanterns number five. Let's see here. Um, if my damn thing will load. Uh, speaking of Atrocitus looking weird, the oh, very God. variant cover for this one. I mean, I, I thought you were going to talk about the, the first the first splash page when you... When he appears in the actual issue, that doesn't look too great either. No, the variant. Have you seen the variant? Uh, which one's the variant? The one with uh, Atrocitus holding Simon and uh, Jessica each in a hand. No. He looks like some sort of cross between Spawn and Venom. Um, so we open up where we left off. Uh, the Red Lanterns are 
protecting the Hell Tower slash going up against the Green Lanterns. We see Skalix and Zillia Sox, we, who are described as, let's see, uh, Skalix is an angry goat dude. Zillia Sox is uh, Mr. Potato Head on drugs. Fury 6, Grumpy Computer. And Hagog? Is that what that's? Hagor. Hagor, there we go. Uh, ugly Christmas Tree Gore. All right. Well, um, so they go up against one another. Uh, big fight. Uh, Atrocitus has uh, Dexter take the Rage Seed down to the bottom of the tower. Um, wow, look, of at, look at that. Look how bad that. I just noticed how horrible that Red Lantern logo is in, on Atrocitus' chest. I know, right? Yeah, that, I, I mean, it's not just Atrocitus either. It's on, it's on, it's on Dexter's chest, and that it, that's just horrible. Sorry. A um, lot of internal monologue, a lot of internal back and forth. Um, Simon gets Emerald Sight again. Uh, Red Dawn is coming, and he sees the entire Justice League affected by fear. I mean, not fear, rage. Um, but he saw Atrocitus standing in the center of it, so he thinks, well, if I take out Atrocitus, maybe it won't come true. So he's like, I got a plan. You hold him off, Jessica. So she, uh, you know, her willpower starts spiking, and then she runs and hides as uh, Simon goes to take on Atrocitus. He tries his little, you know, cleanse of uh, rage thing that he tried on Jessica. Doesn't work on Atrocitus because Atrocitus is rage. Uh, and. As she's cowering in fear, Atrocitus is standing over Simon. And next issue, Red Lantern's Triumph. See what I mean by setup? Not a lot really happens here. It's action-packed, a lot of cool scenes, blah, blah, blah. But nothing really happens in this issue, now does it? So, speaking of setup, this is... This is I'm of I'm of two minds about this. You guys are going to think I'm being like nitpicky, or you're thinking I can't make up my mind. I've been saying for a long time we need characterization. Okay, I've been saying for a long time that we need you know if we're going to keep Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz around, we need to get to know them better and give me a reason to care about them. And we are getting background and we are getting characterization in these stories, but. As much as Jessica is running and hiding, and I'm almost going to create a construct. Oh, no. Simon's like, oh, willpower spiking. Oh, Emerald Sight. Like, I just, I don't necessarily think Jessica should just, you know, one story arc and get over her fear. I think it should be, you know, her, her anxiety or whatever you want to call it. I feel like it should remain a part of her character, something unique to this particular lantern. Obviously, not affect not affect her as much as we go, but I just feel like neither of these characters are really growing. I mean, we got a, we kind of got a little bit of it with them talking about you know, you know, down in the bottom of well, not the bottom, but down in the Hell Tower hole or whatever. How you know, you don't trust the ring, Simon, and blah blah blah. There was a little bit of growth there. I feel, and I you know, I nodded my head. I was like, okay, cool, cool. But now I feel like we went. You know, last issue we went, okay, we went one step forward, and now we're two steps back. You know, they're, I don't know. I, it's, I, I, I really hate to criticize these books for not having, uh, you know, forward progression in these stories and doing too much setup 
when there actually is some cool, interesting stuff happening in these happening in these books. It's not like there's not. It's just that there's really there's not payoff. There's not payoff in these books. Just I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to sound too down on it, but I just I can't help it. It's it's I think it's starting to lose a little traction. I think whatever I think I think people are getting a little impatient in general. That's probably true, and we'll talk about it more, or as it relates to the other book too. But I think with this book, I think it's getting very close to which we kind of talked about this. This book, this book was a tough sell from the get-go, and you had two characters that people didn't necessarily even like or care much about, let alone uh, as, as individuals, let alone putting them together and, and basically giving them one, one of only two Green Lantern books. They made the, the strategic decision, which we've discussed already, about how let's make Simon a jerk, and let's make him the bad cop to try to make Jessica more likable as the good cop. They did succeed as far as making Jessica likable... But in a way, even now, this, it's kind of like becoming hard. She's still likable, but it's going to be hard to li- it's going to be hard to keep liking her if she's cowering in the corner all the time. If she's not making a little bit of progress, so you may be correct that she shouldn't overcome it just like that and just keep going forward and never look back again. But she's, she's got to be taking more ba- more more than a few baby steps and then going to hide, you know, for in every other issue. Simon, they asked if we, as we figured they were going to, they're rolling back his jerkiness factor now because you can't have two main characters. You can't, you can't have one of your two main characters be inherently unlikable. But still, even just in the context of this book, it's like it's just a whole bunch of oh, let's give Simon all these cool abilities that he shouldn't really have for any logical reason. Though of course the Guardian is probably going to tell us why he has these powers. That's probably why he, one of the reasons he's here. But let's be honest, Simon. Simon and with and Jessica really shouldn't have any real chance to stop Atrocitus and the Red Lanterns. So whatever whatever kind of half-ass explanation they give us for how they're going to beat them, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because neither one has a lot of experience, and in raw power and even in raw will, it's doubtful that they could match Atrocitus, let alone the entire Red Lantern Corps. So that's, that's going to be a problem, too. And yes, we know Atrocitus is damaged goods based on what he used to be, which is yet another reason why they kind of shouldn't beat Atrocitus, really. I mean, they may be able to do something. Maybe they can destroy the 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 Hell Tower, but they shouldn't be able to really defeat Atrocitus at this point. You got Atrocitus needs kind of a rehabilitation to make him kind of a badass again, because he's really been the latter like two years of Red Lanterns really kind of really you know really dragged him down a lot uh, as a on a threat level comparison. So I don't know. I think this book is this book to me. The setup seems to be dragging more than in the Hal Jordan book. I think we're also getting more continuity problems uh, in this book. We talked um, we talked about the Red Lantern symbols being completely wrong. Uh, that's sh- that shit. You shouldn't be messing up. We already know that they messed up the sector for Yasmalt and right right off the bat in the beginning of this book. We still have no background explanation like we talked about on why the Red Lanterns are even back. They brought two Red Lanterns back the last time we re- really were reading them in a Lantern book. We're dead. And they're just back like, oh, we missed a beat. Or they, or they didn't miss a beat, I should say. So, I don't know. I think it's... Which is kind of funny. All these dead all these dead ones are back, but but poor uh, Rancor there is still dead. You know? <laughs> uh, 
which was a waste too in that Lobo kind of like debacle there. I don't know. I think I had a feeling the Red Dawn, the Rage Planet arc was not going to be that great. I just did. I thought I just didn't see the Red Lanterns were. I didn't think they were ready to be that kind of threat again. I think they had it to be built up as a threat. That setup that I think was needed, not in any no matter where they were going to be used again, they had to be built up as a threat. Kind of like the way the Sinestro Corps was, be, was built up over time. First as a... So where we see them now as a threat and as a dominant force. They had to be... They had to get pushed to the brink and then come back. I'm much more interested in, in the ring. It being called the Phantom Ring actually has turned me off. I don't know what that really means. It's just a name. It's a name that doesn't resonate with me. It seemingly still is related to the spectrum somehow, looking at the solicits for the issues that are coming down the pike, including this, whoever gets to claim you know, the, the Phantom Ring, which is going to happen. So, I don't know. I just, I, I've been saying that a lot tonight. I just think that, but it's true, though. I'm really torn about, about this. I don't want to be negative about it. I think there are, I like Jessica, but I think there's, I don't, I think there's something needs to be done to amp up the, amp the level up a little bit and make it more, less, less, less set up, more payoff, and let's move from a character development point of view, let's move Jessica a little further along here, and let's not, and let's not have, let's not have Simon's character development seemingly being inherently tied to which cool unlogical thing he's going to be able to do with the ring today that we've never seen before, which makes him quote-unquote unique. Yeah, and another odd choice, the pop culture reference this episode, or this issue, Jessica's inner monologue on the first page, I'd rather be with my Pokemon, Charizard, Bulbasaur, and Jigglypuff. She's referencing, obviously, Pokemon Go. I'm talking to you, but I'm yeah. going to use the word anybody. Does anybody know what the point of Pokemon Go is? Go outside. <laughs> Walk around. Catch some Pokemon. Not Jessica. Now, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she, now, it's possible that those are the only Pokemon she has. <laughs> because that's all she's been able to catch from her apartment. Now... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Keep keep in mind. Obviously, yes, I know she was out there shopping with her sister and blah blah blah. She hasn't, you know, just been stuck in her apartment. But I get the feeling that you know, unless her sister drags her out, you know, and makes her go do things, it's not like Jessica is willingly stepping outside every day to go do things. You know, she's obviously not scared to go out anymore. Well, she's she's a little anxious about it, but she's not like terrified you know, stuck in the house forever, you know, kind of mode. But, yeah, I don't I just, I just found that, I just found that odd. I mean, I get it. It's, you know, it's a, it's a pop culture from a phenomenon. I'm playing it, you know, like it's, 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 everybody's doing it for the most part. I know Mark's not, but, <laughs> you know, everybody's doing it, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, and and all of that, but it just it just feels weird uh, to to mention that at this point in the game. Uh, it just I don't know. It's kind of like when you go read a uh, like a comic from the seventies or something, and they reference some sort of uh, you know. Uh, I mean, it makes more sense when someone's doing like some big world event or something. But when they talk about like some seventies song or you know some something to that effect. 
that's interesting. But you know, when when they talk when they talk Pokemon, you just like wait what you know. So I don't know. That's the only Poke- That's the only Pokemon that says anything when you tap it in the game. But I do have a Gyarados, so that's cool. I finally, di- I, f- I finally, uh, I finally got enough candies to evolve my Gyarados, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Now I don't have to edit any sound effects into the into the episode. Moving on. You, you and Jessica can hang out now. That's right. Uh, 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 I already have a, Char- a Charizard, Bulbasaur, and a Jigglypuff. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. I just I'm harping on that a little too much. But yeah, I just just was just was a little odd to see that mentioned there. I don't know. This it's like was... Denny O'Neill writing like the slang of the times in in Green Arrow when Denny O'Neill was you know thirty something, thirty forty something. <laughs> <laughs> Jaff, Turkey. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I, I think, I think this book is just, to me anyway. At this point, this book is losing a little steam. I think it's losing steam. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's got potential, and there are some cool things happening in it. But as we'll get into with, with the Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps when we cover that, it's just both of these books are just kind of. They're, Posting exactly, exactly, and 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 I think that you know that's why I keep trying to say you know you know point out the fact that I don't hate either of these titles and that there are cool things happening in each of them. It's just uh, there's there's nothing of substance here. There's nothing there's nothing here that's making me go. Oh wow! Like just reveals, you know, all the reveals that are happening are just. I feel like I should know more. I feel like I should. I feel like I should. If I'm, yeah, I don't know. I just there's, there's, I don't want to. Like the Jeep Grand Cherokee. I just feel like I'm being when I when I say that they're coasting or like like you said, I just feel like I'm being. I feel like I'm coming across negatively about these books. Like you know that they're worse. We're worse off now than we were before Rebirth or anything. And that's not really the case. But it just feels weird. I feel like we should know more by now. And I, I agree. I think... Six issues in, right, with a special? Yeah, because we did We're five, right? Four and five, yeah. So, we've, so there have been six issues so far. We're a trade's worth in. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And, like we said, we know, we know this arc. We know this arc is going to end soon. We know that we know they're about to transition into the second arc, so what kind of resolution we get is probably not going to be overly satisfying to begin with. And you you add that, combine that with the questions that we still have. I don't know. And again, maybe we'll get some answers to those questions when from the other from the Guardian once the Guardian and uh, the Lanterns team up. But still, that's that's a lot of that's still a whole lot of setup from not a lot of payoff. Yeah. Alright, anything else you want to say about these issues? No, not really. I, I'm kind of... I'm actually... I'll, I'll be glad once we get to the second arc at this point, I think. I, I mean, as much as I love to see Dexter show up and everything, this is kind of... Even that's not, even that's not working for me at this point. <laughs> 
All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about something else comic book related. Hey, who likes Wild Dog? Who let the dogs out? No, 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 no. I'm taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17th, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the SNG feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog. Watch for it at SNGPod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Vance, why do we even own that CD? Alright guys, and we're back from break. Alright man, what do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about Suicide Squad, because we, even though Jim and I got to talk about it a little on the Greatest Toy Podcast, you and I haven't had much of it, you and I haven't really had a chance to talk about it much at all, so. So what did you think, man? Um, it's a good popcorn flick. Um, I... At this point, I'm sort of I'm not expecting much from the DC movies anymore. I'm expecting an entertaining movie. That's about it. Um, the only DC movie I'm expecting uh, any sort of real substance from right now is Wonder Woman. You're raising that bar. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but I don't know. I just the the, the my biggest critique about it is I think something that. I don't know. It might have been Ryan Daly said. Somebody said on the internet it was basically that I know on Facebook. They were saying like, <clears throat> "How can we do Guardians but more Guardians e? <laughs> like, how can we dial up the Guardians of the Galaxy knob? Because there was a lot of <sighs> it's see like in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the soundtrack was part of the movie." Like it was a character almost in the movie. Yeah, it it played. It had a function, and like it just it fits so well in that movie. And yeah, there were a couple of spots where it was a little cheesy, but in 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 Suicide Squad, it's like every scene had to have its own theme song. Like every single one of them, and it was noticeable. It's like they just picked a song and added it on there and it didn't it didn't blend well it didn't fit like it just but I mean you know it was it was a it was a cool flick you know I liked Will Smith a little more as Deadshot than I thought I would still not really sold on him but he did okay I guess we didn't really need to make him a main character but it's Will Smith so I guess we gotta do it um I think he stole the movie, though, because I think people were expecting Harley to to completely steal the movie. And maybe That's they, true. And maybe they weren't expecting much out of Will out of 
either either out of will or out of the character. And I think I think pe- I think some people may have been surprised how much the focal point or the driving force behind a lot of the movie was actually uh, Will Smith's character. So I I and I so I was a little surprised that was the focus the focal point as much as it was. And I actually do think I do think he probably stole the movie just again based on the expectation game that you would have expected Harley to be the to, to be the one you would naturally think of yeah um I really Joker didn't play any function in this movie no, like I, no. I feel like he was just there to get asses in the seats probably and again, depending on which version of how things came together, you believe it was either, you know, obviously, uh, Mr. L- Mr. Leto over here is pretty much making it clear how how un- even though he supposedly hasn't seen the movie yet, how unhappy he is with the lack of Joker time in that movie. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I I don't know I. It, to me, it always seemed like a weird mix. Anyway, I mean, again, this this has to do with the, this may have to do with the big problem. They seemingly, again, believing if you believe what we we heard when they were going back to do the reshoots was the fact that what well, the tone and things we saw in the trailer were not being represented in the actual finished product, and they were concerned with that probably coming following Batman vs Superman. They may have thought it was just simply too tonally like Batman vs Superman, and, and since that didn't really go over too well. They needed to, and the trailer for for trailers for Suicide Squad did go over well. That's what the rumor was that they wanted to make the movie be a little more, at least somewhat closer in tone to match the trailers, to kind of cut down at least on the the almost built-in disappointment you were going to get if people were expecting the movie to be like you're expecting a movie to be a comedy and you find out that it's a drama. Just, and, and, but they advertise like the five funny parts of the movie in in, in the trailer. That kind of when you when you set people up like that, that that sets you that really creates or raises a greater it certainly increases the chances of that the audience is going to be disappointed. But I agree. The jo- I mean, I never thought how the Joker really was going to work in this, as far as being a unless he was going to be the villain in the movie. I never thought how how it was really going to work. And so I agree with I agree with that 100%. And the Enchantress was a waste. Mm-hmm. She was a bad villain. I think carried well. Del Delvini. Uh, she was a. I I don't want to judge her acting ability entirely based on this movie, but if I had to, it wouldn't be good. <laughs> I think she was miscast. I think the character itself was was too cliche, too horrible, too poorly used, and no, I don't think anybody really cared about. And I think I kind of carried over into the Rick Flag character. I don't think people really gave a shit about that either. Especially yeah. his relationship with the Enchantress. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody cared about that. I think, I think people cared more to, more about uh, even the relationship between Deadshot and Harley. Yeah, that's what I, 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 I was a little surprised uh, at the depth that they gave Harley. And now I, I'm not saying that you know it's, she's such a deep character and we learn so much about her, but we learn more than I thought. Like this is, please understand, people out there. This might sound slightly, I don't know, misogynistic or, or whatever, but under, try and understand where I'm coming from when I say this. I was kind of expecting to walk out of that movie seeing Harley as just nothing more than something I could think about in the shower. You know what I mean? 
like the way that they they played that character, like that she was just a you know a sex kitten, you know something hot for me to look at while I was watching a a big action movie. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I just I didn't I didn't expect much more than. Like I said, something to think about in the showers, you know, something like like that. That's all that they were advertising about that character, kind of, and that kind of put a lot of people, you know, on edge just from the trailers and stuff. And you know, there was a whole debate about, well, you know, the relationship between Joker and Harley is more abusive, and blah 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 blah. You know, like th- th- that whole thing. But I, I didn't, I, I honestly went into this movie thinking. I'm not really going to get any depth out of the Harley character. I know that going into it. And I was surprised at the depth that we did get because I wasn't expecting any, you know, and that wasn't just my own, uh, you know, thought process. That wasn't just what I personally expected. I feel like that's what they were kind of advertising out of the Harley character. That's true. They, they, there's no, there's, Really, no doubt they were pl- they were playing up that aspect. Yeah. So that that's she was she was going she was kind of designed the or the marketing the marketing was designed to play up the uh, eye candy factor. Mm-hmm. For sure. So it was so it was that they they did add they did add some depth to her. I did. I still think it was funny when Batman punched her in the face. Yeah. That was pretty cool. You know, and, and speaking of, before I before I forget, that was my favorite part of these movies. Uh, uh, not these movies. This movie is the DC Universe stuff. You know, seeing Batman uh, confront Deadshot in an alley, seeing Batman get in a car chase with with Joker and Harley, seeing Flash take on Captain Boomerang at a bank robbery. Like those were my favorite parts of the movie. Just the 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 out and out DC universe building stuff. Like, how many times have we seen Batman chase down a villain in his rogues gallery on the on the big live action screen? Like, we really didn't get that in any of the Christopher Nolan movies, did we? And I don't mean like we didn't see him interact with his rogue gallery. I just mean we didn't get a out and out chase scene. Like he's. You know, he's he's taking him down, he punches him in the face and takes him into Commissioner Gordon or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably the closest was what the beginning of a Dark, of Dark Knight Rises with, uh, what's his face, Scarecrow. Yes, that's probably the closest. But it's just like, it. whatever you thought about this movie, whatever even you thought about the look or portrayal of Joker and Harley... You gotta admit, it was a little fun watching Batman chase down Joker and Harley on the big screen. Yeah. yeah you know, was. that was that was fun. It was fun watching Barry quip at Captain Boomerang. You know, and I still have a problem with the whole lightning flashing all over the place every time Barry moves. But, you know, it just it was it was fun watching that DC universe side of things. I thought that was cool. You know, I just I don't know. I thought that stuff was just interesting. I thought it was cool. I thought it was exciting. I'm. It was just you know. It was. It was kind of like kind of like the the entirety of the Civil War movie was for me. It's like, oh my god, I am seeing all of these characters on the big screen interacting and it's working. Like, not obviously not as much with the Suicide Squad because there's a lot of stuff I didn't like about it, but 
for those moments, I was excited for the DC universe on the big screen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I think that was that was some, and that, those were like the well, in a way, that was part of the problem with Batman versus Superman is that they weren't really the highlights. <laughs> the university, the universe building moments in Batman versus Superman were not that great, like those stupid the little stuff on the flash drive and things like that, and those little snippets which were kind of cheesy of how you get to see the other ju- future Justice League members. It didn't quite work, but but the rep, but the references to to things beyond you know that show you that everything's in one big universe. That's the that's the stuff that overall is 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 kind of cool. Even when you think about it, even if you go even when you go back to previous movies, like when you go back to uh, Batman Batman Forever, when there's a conversation between Val Kilmer and Chris O'Donnell saying uh, when Chris O'Donnell I think was going to try to catch up with the circus after. And it's like, and and Val Kilmer goes, oh, they must be like halfway to Metropolis by now, you know, just little things like that, just to, just to throwing the throwing the bone out there, just to make it clear that hey, you know, we are in the same universe, that we're not living in a vacuum. Those things, those things are always good, and I think they they did work in Suicide Squad. I think Suicide Squad overall worked. Of course, the expectations for Suicide Squad, let's be honest, were a lot lower, based on. And overall, as far as you know, the fan expectation. Let's put the, leave the reviews aside for a second, just based on what you would want to see. And and oh, you get to see these characters together. I mean, most of the characters in Suicide Squad were B tier at best. So you you didn't have that kind of you know you didn't have that kind of build up like you did when you had Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman all together. What, a, what about Slipknot? Oh yeah. <laughs> Here's your half a page of script. <laughs> uh, here's your four lines of dialogue. <laughs> Don't bother memorizing them, but just put them on a big cue card. This, <laughs> practice your screaming. Uh, you, you designated, uh, <laughs> designated flunky right there. It was. I liked it. I liked it better than Batman vs Superman. I still haven't seen the director's cut. Uh, I have it. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, my friend has it, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna borrow his. And see if I'm sure. I'm sure I will probably like the Batman vs Superman director's cut better, but I don't think it's going to change my mind and make me think. Oh, it's a. It's either a great movie or b. The the in thing these days, which is to say, oh, the studio ruined the movie, but it wasn't the director's fault. I mean, you know, people have to realize that studios influence every movie. Nine nine point five, not more like more like nine point nine times out of ten. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's not subtle. But the, the studios influence the the you know the final cut of the movie in some way almost all the time. If you're Martin Martin Scorsese, uh, Steven Spielberg, yeah, you probably can turn in turn in the cut that you want, and you're not going to have much studio interference. Other than that, the studio even if they're just telling you oh, you can't run more than 245. Either way, there's going to be some influence. So to to let the directors off the hook and just like to say oh this wasn't Snyder's vision because he wanted this uncut. Version is like, come on. He damn well knew when he was making that movie to begin with, he was never getting a three-hour theatrical release cut of that movie. I mean, that's just common sense because of the box office. You were never going to get that. So, I think that Batman. I think Suicide Squad worked better than Batman versus Superman. I think. I think much like with Batman versus Superman, people have to look at the reviews and and look at it in in the context that. It's like. 
and I think I mentioned this to Jim, it's like the Electoral College. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you win by, if you lose by two percentage points or 25. You're still going to lose all the, all the votes for that state. And that's kind of what it is like with the reviews, at least like for Rotten Tomatoes. It doesn't matter if you almost were a positive review. If you're still a negative, at the end of the day, you're going to count as a negative. And the more negatives – and you could have like 55 reviews that were technically negative but were on the border. They're still going to all count as negative reviews and going to factor into the, you know, looking like a landslide when it may have been a closer call. So I think, but if you actually look at the criticism in Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad, the things they picked out, most of them were, I think, were fair. It's certainly the the raw number when you see it, like on something like Rotten Tomatoes, make you think like it's it's the biggest piece of crap of all time, and it, and it wasn't. Just like Batman versus Superman wasn't the biggest piece of crap of all time. But more people saw it and thought it was not good. Was was not good compared to the people that thought it was good. And the only difference being, uh, the movie going public tend, agreed seemingly more with Batman versus Superman's criticism. So it does seem like. But again, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not a. I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, but I'm not entirely sure if maybe like some of these. The audience reviews on, of on Rotten Tomatoes for Suicide Squad aren't a little skewed too, with people trying to, like, fight back at at Suicide Squad. I mean, at, at Rotten Tomatoes for giving it a rotten review. So they go, "We're going to screw you by giving it a great review the first chance we get." And it's at 68 percent. That's still not. A, I mean, that's not. You know, it's not Godfather Two over here. It's still good. It's not great. But it's, and it's certainly a much greater disparity between the audience score and the, and the critic score in that movie than Batman and Superman. But it was good. It's not. It was financially. It's doing. It's done. You know. It's it's done. Exact what it needed, to, or it has done what it probably needed to do overall. But it doesn't. It certainly does not help the the public image of DC movies. And if Wonder Woman, if Wonder Woman shits the bed too, then they're gonna really be in trouble. Really, really, really be in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of problem with all of this is they, they, they keep trying – and this is probably – all I'll say is I I feel like the suicide – because I also saw Star Trek Beyond, um, and I feel like both of these movies are just fun action popcorn movies. I don't really expect much out of them. I feel like uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies are kind of formulaic. At this point, and I feel like both of them are just, eh, I wanted to sit and see something cool on the screen for a little while. You know, I just wanted to shut off my brain and watch something for a little bit. Um, there, If I wanted to nitpick them, they'd be considered bad movies. But I just, uh, my last thoughts on the DC Universe cinematic stuff, at least for this episode, are going to be, I feel like the problem is they're already filming these things. Mm-hmm. So we're playing catch up rather than okay. Let's stop. Let's reevaluate. They they keep tweaking as they go rather than fixing everything. Yep. You know. So with Batman versus Superman, they're like they're well they're already working on Suicide Squad. So we need to okay. Well, we the the audience reacted negatively to A, B, C, and D in Batman versus Superman. Let's fix that for Suicide Squad. Okay. Well, Suicide Squad is out. Uh, what was wrong with that movie? Okay, we need to fix that for Wonder Woman. Uh, okay, now Wonder Woman is out. Uh, oh, well, Justice League's already been filmed. Well, okay, well, what do we need to fix? Like, they, rather than, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a DC Universe fan through and through, but as much as I want to see these movies as soon as possible, 
I also want them to succeed and be epic movies, not just, eh, eh that was okay, eh, that one's a little better, eh, that one's just a little bit better, uh, okay, finally, this is a halfway decent movie, and then, like, you know, five films later, then we go, ah, oh, now that one was good. I want, I want all of them to be really good movies, and I don't know. Right now, right now, Man of Steel is the best friggin' DC cinematic universe movie based on critic from a critic's point of view. Yeah, and that wasn't even that great. I think that was like a fifty-six percent. So, but part of what you said is exactly right. Based on, and this all in a way kind of has kind of steamrolled because of the fact that they pushed the release of Batman vs Superman back. Remember, Batman and Superman was originally supposed to come out what last year. And they pushed and they pushed it back to this year, and because of that, all the release schedule was already set for this, 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 this. So then, Batman vs Superman comes out, and it's it made money. It may not have made enough money, but it it was not a financial flop, but it was a critical flop. And you have to say, based on overall fan reaction, it was a flop. Suicide yeah. Squad, yes, as you mentioned, Suicide Squad was already done. Justice League was about to start filming like two weeks after the movie, after Batman vs. Superman came out. So at least they, they did, and they probably have had some opportunity to tweak Justice League a little bit more because of the fact that they were they could have made adjustments to the script before they actually filmed something or, or added things to it. But the fact is that they were not in a position to you know pump the brakes because – Literally two two weeks after this after Batman vs Superman comes out, we're doing Justice League, Suicide Squad. Oh, that's already in the can, but now we have to do some reshoots. When whether whether those reshoots were simply because of Batman vs Superman's influence, the, you know the negative, or a combination of things that they didn't like about Suicide Squad as a whole. It probably was a combination of both. I mean, the reality is, no studio. Yes, there are tons of examples where studios get things wrong. But there are also times when studios get things right, and they know what they have is, is either a steaming pile or something close, and they have to do whatever they can in a short period of time to try to make take away some of the stench. Even though it's probably not going to make it a hit, it might make it passable. So I think Suicide Squad, they didn't like – they thought there were elements of it they didn't like either be, either because it didn't work in that movie as a whole or because it – it was too similar to things that didn't work in Batman and Superman, so they tried to fix the tone at least a little bit. Wonder Woman, we don't know. Wonder Woman's already in the can, so we don't really know what, what's going on. But the, but the thing is, they had too many of these movies lined up, boom, 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 to be made right after each other. And like you said, you don't you don't know. And there's, and there's not, not enough time to catch your breath and try, try to refocus, even from a release schedule point of view. Batman vs. Superman did poorly critically and with the fans. Like, four months later or whatever, Suicide Squad's coming out. Suicide Squad probably at least gives them a check mark in two of the three columns. Fans seem to like it. At least more than Batman versus Superman. And they and it did make... And it financially, based on how much it cost and how much... It probably is more of a win-win. So they probably get two or three checks. And obviously the critics, they were... We knew the critics were lost, like, the first day the movie was released. I mean, the, the first day the embargo was released, like the Tuesday before it rolled out. It was just, you knew it was it was going to be bad. The reality is that they do need to allow a little bit of spacing. Because if, if, if Wonder Woman comes out, comes out next, uh, when is Wonder Woman? June, right, I think? I, think Wonder uh, Woman. I don't remember. Uh, if Wonder Woman comes out and that movie is in the same boat, 
it doesn't do it doesn't do well with critics. The fans are somewhat mixed, even if it's not as bad as BVS. And it makes money, but not great money, which is probably more likely with Wonder Woman. Because let's be honest, up to this point, we haven't had a female superhero character that's proven they can do big bank. There hasn't been a big litmus test to say she can't. And this is the character you would assume could, if anybody could, or would, if anybody could. But still, I don't, I don't think Wonder Woman is going to be doing, you know, anything close to uh, even, I don't know, like like Man of Steel money. I would be, but I could be wrong. But we'll see. But if that movie tanks, then few like three or four months later, you have Justice League, riding on the riding on the the heels of three straight critical flops and two of three fan flops, and then you know with a director which nobody honestly has a whole lot of faith in right now, as far as being able to capture the right tone for what DC needs their movies need or should be. But we're not rooting for them to fail. It's just that you can't you can't have blinders on and just say like some people want to do all the time, which is oh it's simply uh, oh it's a conspiracy against DC because it's anti hate DC movies. They just love Marvel movies, except for the fact that the, all the critics love the Nolan Batman movies. But let's throw that out. That doesn't matter. The fact that they loved by by comparison to the to the last two DC cinematic entries. They fr- friggin' loved Man of Steel compared to the last two. So it's not really, you know, there is no grand conspiracy. I mean, there's been there's been there's been Fox movies, superhero movies that they've hated, but they've liked some of them too. And there's been Marvel movies that haven't been great. You know, nobody was no nobody was glowing over a Thor: Dark World or the Incredible Hulk. So it's it's not there's not a conspiracy. It's the fact that if you turn in something which doesn't really work. And, and or that's really flawed. People are going to pick up on it, and if people keep talking about the, when all these reviews first come out, a lot of them are people have to realize they really are in a vacuum. People, for the most part, do not sit there and, and are all writing their reviews in the same room or on the phone with each other, saying, "Hey, what, what do you think? What do you think of this movie? What do you think? What are you going to write?" Most of these, the initial reviews are just being written by people, and yeah, some some people who are friends might talk. You know, if they, especially if they watched the movie together, if they were like critics in the same city, they maybe maybe they would talk. But overall, people are going to be writing the reviews on their own and submitting them. And if and if you have all these different people in these different places pointing to the same flaws in the movie, then it's prob- there's probably truth in it. It doesn't mean it's not worth seeing. Doesn't mean it's not entertaining or like you said, a good popcorn movie. But it also doesn't mean that there's this massive conspiracy to rag to to, to tear DC down when there was. This, that conspiracy must have been born overnight if it happened because, like I said, Man of Steel did okay, and the critics just loved all the, the all the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Even though, you know, a lot of fans didn't think that. Ba- I mean, I I appreciate uh, the Dark Knight Rises, and I thought Dark Knight was a little overrated when it came out. But I'm also not a bandwagon guy. So, and also, once you raise the bar and you go see some, for me, when the bar gets raised and I go see it, sometimes that leads to natural disappointment. I think I appreciate it a little bit more now, having when I had a few years back, a few month, few years gap between watching The Dark Knight, watching it again when they had the trilogy, when they had the when Dark Knight Rises came out, that I I, pre, I think I appreciated it more. But even though fans didn't like Dark Knight Rises, I think overall as much as the first two, the critics liked Dark Knight Rises quite a bit. So there is no massive conspiracy. If if, if you do quality work, for the most part, people you know the it's going to be recognized on some level. Not all the time. We know 
And that doesn't mean there aren't any conspiracies or people can't have an axe to grind. I mean, I'm not, I'm not naive, but it's, it's not. But D, there's been enough DC movies that have gotten positive reviews in the past to make it clear that they're not, they're not just picking on DC because it's DC. So. All right, what's next? Uh, let's talk about Mary Jane. Mary Jane in, in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. The So even though that's... Technically speaking, this is still just a rumor because the studio has not confirmed this. But what... Zendaya, right? Zendaya is the actress, the, the, the Disney actress, who was... We already knew she was in the movie. But now, supposedly, she's going to be Mary Jane in Homecoming. And we should point out, for Homecoming, they certainly have seemingly on purpose done a whole lot of casting, which was... You have to think it was done on purpose. In a perfect world, you'd like to think it wasn't done on purpose. They may have gone in literally saying, we don't really care who we're going to cast you know, ethnically. It's just going to be whoever like knocks our socks off during the auditions. But you consider all the people they cast that are nothing like either the actors or the characters, that, the way they were written or portrayed before, you kind of think they were doing it on purpose. You have to suspect there was an element of that. But, so obviously because of that alone and because you know obviously Mary Jane is is historically been you know this you know this redheaded caucasian chick you get the natural that all you know you get the natural pushback about this is not what the character was not who the character is and I know I kind of am traditionalist but my take on this is a little different so before I before I ramble on more, what do you, what do you, what did you think about it? What do you what are your thoughts? If pro or con or neutral or don't care or or a little bit of everything? I was a neutral slash leaning towards upset about it um, when I saw a picture of her, and then I saw a picture of her with red hair, and I was like, all right, I'm in, because <laughs> Mary Jane is supposed to be hot. A, a a hot ass redhead, and. I feel like she, for her age, she's an attractive redhead. That's really all that matters to me in terms of Mary Jane. As long as Mary Jane is a a knockout redhead, then that's... I mean, I feel like... This is going to sound so bad. Uh, like, I feel like... There might be a bit more of an uproar if, if they had cast like a an African-American female actress or something like that. I don't, I don't know. You have instead of mixed, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. I, 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 I really don't want to talk about that side of things. Cause I, it, I feel like it gets into this weird territory where like you say something and then you have to clarify everything you say about it every single time you open your mouth. So I really don't want to get into it, but I just like, I saw a picture of her and I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't really see Mary Jane. And then I saw her with red hair. I was like, Mary Jane is a supermodel with red hair. And she's extremely attractive with red hair. So I'm I'm cool with it. As long as she can play, so long as she can act the part, then... And how it's written. And how it's written, that's, that's really all that matters. And I, on this... On this... When it comes to this, uh, when it comes to this example, I actually—that's kind of where I was leaning with this too. Normally, I am a traditionalist. I don't. I certainly, I'm with certain characters, and maybe most characters. To be fair, I would be okay 
I would be okay if people literally are going in colorblind and saying, we don't really have a preconceived notion for this character, which is kind of harder when you're doing something that's an adaptation. Uh, if it's an original piece, that happens all the time, that they're like Ripleyan aliens and things like that. Characters that were not designed originally even to be one sex or the other, let alone a color. And then depending on who comes in and, and knocks your socks off, then it's like that's, that's the person. And, and even if you need to rewrite the, or some of, the, some of the, the character or change some aspects of the background to make it work. We've, there's tons of examples of that. And you, so usually, I, for the most part, while I am a traditionalist, I have less of an issue if you go in and you say, well, kind of like the way it was with narrowing down who was going to be Iris in the Flash movie. Because I think if I remember correctly, there were like the three people they narrowed it down to, you know, two were black or black slash mix, and I think there was one who was white. And then they ended up going with, actually they went with the girl who I was hoping was going to get it. But it seemed, but based on the fact that who the three finalists were, it's pretty clear they weren't doing it. They weren't trying to fill a quota, if you know what I mean. They mm-hmm. hadn't decided oh, we want this character to be black, or we want this character to be Hispanic, and we're going to cast it that way regardless. So it became pretty clear, I think, for the Flash that when they cast it, or oh, cast it's not a word, Freudian bad move. Apologize right off the bat. When they cast that part. Of Iris, they were not. They were really being colorblind. That they really were more interested in who they liked. The people who were auditioning more than what they looked like, and that, as far as you know, their background, their ethnic background. So I have much less of an issue when they go. People go in open-minded and say, "Okay, I was. We were kind of leaning towards somebody like this, but because we like you, like this person so much, we think they can bring something to the table that's different, and not just how they look, but that there's something they had." Something that they can bring to the character, and really as the character, we like, and I think we're going to go that way. As long as they're open-minded about it, and that's the way their approach, I don't have an issue with that. I do have more of an issue when you, like I said, if you go in regardless, because you have to be objective, you have to be fair. <coughs> Excuse me. It's just as wrong deciding that we're not going to cast, we're not going to cast a character, we're not going to cast you because we want this character to be white. It's just as wrong as doing that. As saying we're not going to cast you, we're not going to cast a, a white actor or actress for this role because we want it to be black. It's still wrong no matter how you do it. I mean, you have, and or or it's equally appropriate if you're just basing it on the source material. This character was originally created this way. It was white, it was black, it was Hispanic. So we think we should honor it and find the best person that comes closest to the way the character was described across the board. Be consistent, basically. That's the whole thing. Now, in this instance, I am okay with it for the main reasons you said, because the most important thing about Mary Jane is how how she looks and how she's written. And it's not sexist to say that about Mary Jane, because Mary Jane being hot is part of her character. Mary Jane is supposed to be out of Peter Parker's league. That is important to the dynamic. And obviously, as you get, as you understand and you peel back the layers of Mary Jane and know who she is, then you can understand why the fact that maybe physically she is out of his league, why that really isn't a big deal and why they really are a good match for each other and how that's not the deciding factor for Mary Jane on who she wants to be with. But Mary Jane's supposed to be hot. Now, not to pick on Kirsten Dunst because I like Kirsten Dunst and I actually think Kirsten Dunst is attractive. Kirsten Dunst is not Mary Jane hot. And that's even with an asterisk realizing that she was not, the Mary Jane in in the Raimi movies was not written to be Mary Jane hot, comic book hot. 
Mary Jane was written to be much more of an amalgam between Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane in those movies. So she was much more of a girl-next-door type than Mary Jane really was supposed to be. So based on how it was written, you can't say Kirsten Dunst was wrong for it, and she can't say she didn't do a good job. But that's not who Mary Jane really was supposed to be. That's not who she really is as a character, the essence of her. So, yes, casting somebody who's hot and writing her that way, not that she's got to be a bitch, but writing her as somebody who's, you know, really confident in every, you know, the, the face it, you hit the tiger jackpot. I mean, hit the, hit the jackpot tiger, that kind of Mary Jane. That is crucial. So if they can do that because she is attractive enough and if they can write the character closer to the way she was supposed to be, I, I have less of an issue with it in this case. Uh, it's different if you just if you, it would it would be different if you're just changing it just to change it. That would be different in my mind, kind of like the Johnny Storm thing. And that's not the reason why the movie failed, and that's not or anything like that. That if you just change a character for no random reason other than oh you want to change the character, even though in this case in that case it made it harder because you had a natural biological relationship that was altered by making them not biological children or siblings anymore. Yeah, you can make a case. Ideally, it wouldn't matter, but you could also make a case there is a, a difference unless they were you know raised together their entire lives and maybe. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, I think you get the point that if it's really cr- critical to the character of who of who they are, then maybe changing it's not good. But again, as long as you're going in being honest about it and not just saying, "Oh, we're absolutely ca- we're, we're absolutely casting this character to look like this," then that's something. I don't know. I, I, so I think I'm I'm a little more cool with with this. I think people. Got, I think part of the reason, like I mentioned, I think part of the reason why people might be a little more upset about this is because if you look at the overall casting of a lot of these these schoolmates of Peter Parker that they've cast for this movie, like I think Peter Parker. I mean, not Peter Parker. Flash. Well, I think is Indian and doesn't look anything like a big bully jock kind of type. That it seems like they they are potentially trying to have more of a uh, progressive casting or a more, you know, rainbow rainbow casting to look like, you know, look like America or look like the world, that, that kind of approach. It does kind of seem like they might have gone, that may have been a factor in, in who they cast. It may not have been, but I think that the perception is out there that that might have been the case, so I think that might have gotten some of the traditionalists and the people who think, oh, Mary Jane should look like the way she is in the comic books, just like, you know, T'Challa should look like T'Challa, and things like that. And once again, just like, just like the conspiracy things, and people can disagree, and it doesn't mean that you're... People can have differing opinions, and it doesn't mean you're automatically a racist, or a homophobe, or a caveman, or like that. People cannot want Zendaya to be Mary Jane, because because they think Mary Jane should be who she... should look like she looks in the comic book. It doesn't mean you're automatically... You know, a racist, and you got a, you got his and her sheets in your closet, or, or or seven days worth of matching sheets in your closet, with hood. So I think people just have to remember that you know it isn't. It's shocking, I know, in America, but you really can have differing opinions on things, and it does not necessarily mean there's there's hate involved and things like that. So, but it's not surprising. I don't think it's surprising, especially based on the way where we are in the world today, that there was kind of that kind of has become a minor controversy. All right, anything else? No, I think we covered a lot. All right. Seems that way anyway. (laughs) You want to close this out? 
<clears throat> sure. Uh, best way to contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com. Lanterncast at gmail.com. Visit our website, of course, lanterncast.com. You can get our down, download and find our latest episodes there, as long as our, as should say, Freudian, as well as our, pretty much our complete archive now, I think, of our older episodes. I think they're pretty much cataloged and they're, and they're kind of organized a little better than they used to be, too. So I think you can find a lot of things, including the, the originals back in the day with Jim and Dan and, and, of course, with Chad, too. You can find a lot of those episodes there. We have our Ringcyclopedia episodes, blogs, Dark Star reviews. We've got a lot of stuff. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Like, uh, Use hashtag GLCast if to locate us on any of those iTunes and Stitcher, we are on both, so please like us on whichever one you listen to us on. And last but not least, please leave us a voicemail if you are so inclined. 708-Lantern. 708-Lantern, and let us know what you think. Alright, next episode we'll be talking about Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, so we'll see you then. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>